G'day, it's Phil here. If you wanted to think about what a future fit school community looks like, you'd better talk to a future fit school teacher. How's this for a CV? Boarding house mistress, English teacher, pastoral care coordinator, an advisory panel member for the national curriculum body, a chief examiner and chief marker, Dean of Cross-Curriculum and Future Learning, Head of Strategic Priorities, Deputy Principal Learning and Teaching, and now Deputy Principal Strategy and Innovation. Lorna Began has it all. If only she was born in Carlo instead of Dublin, then she'd be the full package, wouldn't she? I'm so excited to be talking to Lorna Began in this special series of The Game Changes, Series 10. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before you start your conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, could you tell us a little bit about our Series 10 sponsor? Of course, Adriano. Over the past decade, the team from A School for Tomorrow has been working with hundreds of thousands of members of school communities across the world to think about the character of an excellent education. They've concentrated their learning about what makes a school thrive into a unique suite of digital survey tools called Thriving for students, teachers and schools. To learn how you can help your school measure how well it's achieving its purpose, go to aschoolfortomorrow.com forward slash thriving. Let's go. G'day, Laura. How are you? I'm very well. Good afternoon. Yeah, Phil, uh, thank you for that uh, comprehensive introduction. Glad to see you did your homework. But why Carlo? Oh, it's just, my family's from Carlo. Your family's from Carlo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's family from uh, from Ballymoney, in oh. uh, which was previously known as Bagnallstown. And if like right in my eyeline now, I've got pictures of what was then Bagnallstown and is now Ballymoney from 1898, which is um, the year that my grandfather was born, sitting on my wall. So there it is. Welcome. Ah. Welcome to Game Changers. Thank you so much. Uh, yes, uh, my privilege to be here and thank you for uh, asking me to join you this afternoon. Hey, look, the privilege is all mine. Um, just before we begin, I want to disclose today that before Lorna began her work at where she is right now at Genetzano FCJ College in Melbourne, I had a little bit to do um, with that college, working behind the scenes to support a few things that were going on there. But our paths never really crossed, did they? Never. So the, the beauty is today we get to know each other and we get to know in particular your work. What could possibly go wrong when you put an English teacher and a history teacher together? Lorna, start me off. Tell me the potted history of your early years. The potted history of my early years. So born and bred in Ireland, in Dublin. And uh, I suppose uh, to give you a potted history, particularly in terms of education and school, I absolutely loved my primary school, especially my first teacher. Uh, so we had uh, junior infants, senior infants and first class. A woman called Miss Jennifer Fulton introduced me to the world of formal education. And uh, she has been such an important role model in my life. I spent all my pocket money as a child on school supplies and uh, would spend all my holidays entertaining and, and teaching students in many ways because 
my mother was a bit of an entrepreneur, let's say, and in those early days with uh, six children in, in Dublin and, and being at home, she actually opened her home and uh, probably had an early inception childcare. So I taught anybody and everybody who came my way. Uh, I found it was helpful if they could sit up. Uh, anybody from about six months old, I was able uh, uh, to uh, teach them. And, uh, you know, years later when I go back uh, to Ireland, uh, to visit uh, the neighbours still kind of talk about those days when they used to sit in the back garden and listen uh, <laughs> to the, the shows, the puppet shows, the drama performances uh, that um, you know I used to, uh, to to hold. Because I suppose in in many ways I was a an early blossomer. I was a principal of my own school from the age of seven. Um, it was called Sunnyside School, and uh, the the main motto was learning was fun. And that was, you know, pretty much 50 years ago. Uh, so it's it's in my veins. Uh, it runs through me and I love learning and I love being around people who uh, want to learn. And, you know, that early memory of Miss Fulton comes back to this woman who, um, as a special treat, she used to dress up in, in a sari. She, she was born and bred in Ireland herself, but she uh, often would connect with India and she would bring these amazing stories of her travels. And she'd mark all our work with sandalwood pens. And still, if I smell the, the, the sandalwood, I'm back in Lindsay Road National School in Glasnevin um, and just such a rich place where I don't remember any learning being a drudge. Everybody was able to take their own time. As I said, she had junior infants, senior infants, and first class, as they were called, uh, all in the one room. Differentiation was just natural and uh, a real uh, rich kind of experience for me to start that educational journey. I'm going to jump in here if I can because I want to pull apart some of those pieces Mm. and we'll get to secondary school in a moment. Hearing you talk... I'm reminded of the conversation that uh, we had in the first series of the Game Changers back a couple of years ago now with the amazing Valerie Hannon, um, whose experience of going into teaching in in many ways is is the opposite of yours. Like she kind of fell into it, not really knowing what she wanted to do and caught the bug and away she went. You knew right from the start that this is a thing that you wanted to do. Have you ever doubted that you were meant to be a teacher? Yes. Uh, I think after those kind of secondary school years heading to university, the world of potential and opportunity opened itself and the idea, would you just be a teacher? That idea is, is teaching what you're going to do. And I would have probably in my mid-20s thought I would have ended up somewhere in the United Nations or uh, somewhere like that. I was in in kind of diplomacy, politics, um, but life, you know, took a different different turn. Yeah, but, you know, we we talk about the way that people exercise influence and leadership within a community and sometimes we talk about it, you know, being on a grand scale and people who operate right across society. And then we talk about people who do it within their family in their immediate context. And then there are those who are sort of in between. And we have to have all of that, really, don't we? Um, uh, Because there's a spine of leadership that operates right throughout our communities and right throughout our society. And, you know, we've all all got to shoulder it in some way. It's 
it's interesting the value judgments though that we mm. put on teachers and teaching. I don't know if there's as much of that just a teacher thing now, but there certainly was when I was starting my career. You know, I'm, I'm, mm. I was a, I was a, I was an arts law undergraduate, and I had army in my background and various other things. And people teaching teaching and i've told the story before but think possibly even in this context with another guest i've spoken of sort of ending up back at my own school six months after i finished after swearing that i'd never step foot in there again and the moment i stepped in the classroom i loved it and you know i realized as well looking right back that i'd always been teaching and doing that sort of thing tell me a bit more about miss fulton and the school itself i want to i want to know what nurtures an educator in their early years so it was a very small Presbyterian primary school, national school in Dublin, which is a you know a small um, sample size in terms of uh, percentage-wise. Uh, it, it wasn't the mainstream school. It was this really beautiful building um, that just oozed happiness and support and family connection. It had, was very eclectic. We had many different uh, religions and races. I remember my uh, one of my best friends was a Jehovah's Witness, uh, and uh, I, and not that that was of any significance, but it just meant in in Ireland it was a rich, fertile ecosystem to learn, and we just had fun from the moment we arrived. We used to come early just to be at school and uh, have fun. And we also finished every day at around two o'clock, which was, which was early. And then we all went home and had a hot cooked meal, <laughs> invariably, um, the majority of us, and we were very fortunate in, in that sense. But it, uh, I actually think the different age groups as well, uh, so it was a very small, it was under 100 students in the school. So even third and fourth class and fourth, fifth and sixth class, they're all mixed up. So it meant you were just a learner as yourself, uh, not necessarily defined by an age group or a, a stage. It was, we're all learning together. And it, it, in many ways, it was probably backward by design in a sense where do we need to take the students and and let's uh let's look at a program it seemed very organic and uh yeah amazing fun that's all I remember I loved every day I went to school that sort of fluidity and that sort of mix of ages around mm -hmm. there now there's quite a lot of pressure in schools not to be like that isn't it it's like the pressure to have lots and lots of content and time structured all of the time and Filling up afternoons with endless activities. Uh, you know, again, a former Game Changers guest, Parsi Salberg, you know, it's very strong on the notion of play and the importance of allowing children to play. And yet we don't do that, do we? And, 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 then, and then, you know, Lord forbid that we would have composite classes with children of different ages in there and that, and that we would have teachers who were differentiating running different programs. And as a result, children aren't being lectured at the whole time they've actually got programs that they have to run their own learning this sound, this sounds suspiciously like the continuous learning that adriano and i are talking about all the time with people how do we reconcile how do we reconcile the way that we construct the notion of school in our heads because it seems to me that so many of the assumptions that we we base school on are not for future fit schools they're for 
schools in the past. They're not for schools that empower kids. They're for schools that attempt to control kids. And I think that's uh, from a very early age, I was valued as a human, as a person in my own right. Uh, There were different groups of people and different students who ran faster, read slower, took longer, and, and we all just respected each other and blossomed in our in our own ways. Uh, I, I do rem- I think what's happened is maybe it's too much of a, a scientific, quantifiable content loading area which takes away the kind of humanity of the classroom, the flexibility where the students are at, responding to the absolute point of need. I remember vividly, I don't have no idea what this teacher's name was, but in kind of the senior part of the junior school, uh, so fifth or sixth class as it was, um, so that class had, I remember, fourth, fifth and sixth. We had a teacher who was a relief teacher. She came in for a couple of days and she said, I don't know about your curriculum, but get your coats on. We're going out. And she took us. Uh, to the local environment of Glasnevin where she took us to the graveyard. But I remember she went to St. Michael's Church where she showed us mummified bodies and she taught us these, all to identify all the different, you know, ionic columns and showed us all the influence of the neoclassical period on Irish architecture and we all just sat on every single word three days probably changed my life as well. The days when I was out of class, when somebody who was so passionate about local history and history brought it to life that we all went back, we all wanted to read more, uh, we all saw the, you know, that we were actually part of some bigger sense of history. And if anything, it was at that moment, it was spontaneous And it was just such a really rich experience that there's no way I would have got it from a textbook. I don't even really remember using textbooks at my school. We did have one or two. I think we had a history and geography textbook. But everything else actually was much more organic as as it came. And as I said, that's like 40 years ago, 40 plus years. That's very skillful pedagogy, isn't it? Because the real trick to constructivism is that, you're five minutes ahead of the kids and you know where you want them to get to and you can build the scaffold around it and it seems organic, mm-hmm. but really it's highly intentional yep. at the same time. And it may well be that you've planned a whole bunch of it that's sitting there, but you're not revealing the whole process all at the same place because you want kids to make meaning in the same way. Uh, I had a, a, a similar experience back when I was in third form. And I too was in first class and then eventually I got to third form and we had a relief teacher and he was an Irishman. I don't know, I can't remember where he was from in Ireland. His name was Mick Boylan. And if you're you're out there somewhere, Mick, just props to you. So I went to, I went to um, uh, a pretty posh school, a boys uh, school in Sydney. Uh, My parents came from nothing really, but they worked really, really hard and they believed in the value of education and Every cent they had went towards my education, the education of my brother. Uh, and there we were, third form, I guess 14, 15 years of age. Not a very attractive bunch in our attitudes and the way we carried ourselves. And 
in comes the substitute teacher who kind of just lands in there with no explanation as to where our English teacher is. And, you know, he, he started doing some stuff after about two or three days, you know, and we're just giving him a whole bunch of attitude because, you know, that's what we do. At the, that's what we did at that age. And that's what we were like. And he just stopped the whole thing. And he went off at us because in those days, you could probably go off at kids a little bit. He went off at us quite a lot and gave us a lecture about privilege and gave us a lecture about attitude and gave us a lecture about the opportunity that we had that we were frittering away. I have to say, again, in, in 30 minutes, my life changed. My life absolutely changed. People know now that I'm, I'm very, I'd like to think I'm very purpose-driven about what I do and I encourage people to be purpose-driven around it. And we, we pull apart character to try and help people find a sense of purpose. I reckon that's the moment that I started thinking seriously about what I was meant to do in the world and why I was meant to do it. Um, the answers perhaps crept up on me, but I knew that I needed to help people rather than put myself first. And yeah, Nick Boylan. Yeah, good man. Very, very good man. Tell me what your secondary school experience was like. Fabulous. And this is where I'm also aware that I, maybe I, you know, play as a child, preschool, it was school. I had this wonderful, rich, fertile experience at primary school and just as good, if not better, at uh, what also was a posh school. Um, so I was very fortunate to go to a school um, called the King's Hospital in Dublin. It's uh, in Lucan in Palmerstown. It was originally founded in 1669 and it was called the Hospital and Free School of King Charles II. So again, it was over, uh, you know, so it just had a 350th anniversary. So it was an old school with a huge tradition and history behind it. And you knew once you went in there, even though the buildings were um, modern, that you walked in the shoes of great men and women and past pupils that really made a difference in their life. There were huge distinction boards all down our dining hall. I was a boarder and when I went there in the 80s, I was one of 450 boarders in a co-educational school and it was full boarding. So we had class on, Sunday, uh, on Saturday. Uh, we had full sung matins on Sunday morning. You were uh, allowed out at 12 o'clock and you had to be back at 9 p.m. as long as you had your exit slip filled and you had not been in contact with any contagious diseases. You were welcome back uh, at school. But I still think as a school, like its motto to this day is a school and a way of life. So whether it was influenced, you know, now, as I know from, you know, John Dewey, but then it really was a community. That's what really struck me there. We were um, boarding in a school. So I went from the age of 12, I was in a room with 12 other girls and all of those kind of things, but everything laid out, sport, music, you name it. Um, and the community there, was really significant and what I also knew there was a great sense of nurturing new staff because I came um, as a as a student teacher I came back to work in the boarding house when I was at university but the way they nurtured young staff coming in but what I loved even more was 
there were these teachers who never left. <laughs> they never left the school, but they were embraced as a community, as senior masters or senior mistresses. And I'm sure they did leave. But in my impression, it was like once you entered this school, you were an essential part of it. And the rhythms of your life were, were respected. And those older staff were oftentimes where somebody would say, come here, I'm going to have, let's have a cup of tea in my office and a chocolate biscuit and to a border that's, you know, very, <laughs> uh, very attractive. But there was a passion and a sense of uh, kudos that these older staff have that I sometimes think um, perhaps in Australia it's more used by date or what's the kind of... It's a, there's, a, there's an interesting tension there about um, so, so, so how do you do, how do you reckon you do that? Because it's a real challenge, isn't it? And, you know, as you're sitting there and talking about those sorts of teachers, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, again, at the school that I went to in, in the history department, I'm thinking about Harry Nicholson, who we, of course, called Fossil, who'd been teaching since uh, the 1940s. Mm. I was there in the 1980s. Um, and he's only just died at the age of 97 and just, just you know, just uh, uh, such a lifetime of, of, of service and commitment. And I'm, I'm thinking of, of my, my dear friend, David Thomas, who's in his 70s now. He's still a housemaster at Cranbrook School, mm-hmm. teaching, of course, again, history. Um, uh, it was always the history department, I think, that I gravitated around more than anything else. Hey, Presso, there, of course, I'm a history teacher. Well, mm. once upon a time, I was a history teacher. Now I'm just a bloke with a beard who talks to real teachers. But um, I think in trying to make schools' future fit now, we send a message to more experienced staff, to older staff, that they're not essential, that they're not future fit, that they're not ready, that they can't do it. How do we balance that? How do we treat people um, with the dignity and respect that should come and at the same time, help them move forward with a bunch of stuff that, I don't know, I, again, plenty, plenty of older and more experienced staff I've seen who, once they learn how to turn on the computer and how they, once they learn how to make the software work, they just bring, all, they bring everything to it, don't they? But, so how, how do we help them to thrive in a future fit school and how do we help a future fit school to thrive because of them? I think ultimately it is valuing each of your staff members just as your students, as a human, as an individual. And whilst there is a, a work component and a job that needs to be done, I think we're, we're falling short of school. Like we've really got to look at is, is school fit for purpose? Has it passed its use by date? Is the school system kind of obsolete in a sense? Because what we keep doing is having the regular classroom, the timetable, the five, six classes that you have to juggle. Like that is, a, it's very demanding. To, there's no way, if somebody's a full-time teacher in Australia, they are working very, very hard. Uh, I used to use the analogy as a literature teacher that it was like you were um, performing King Lear every day but the words change the blocking <laughs> like it's it's performance it's intense it takes a lot of time to be civil and respectful every minute of the day and be really conscious of how you are 
performing in front of your students, how you're respecting them, how you're understanding what's happening in the back row. And that is really demanding. And there comes a time that perhaps it's not so easy to do it. And perhaps there's a time when it's easier to default in here are my slides and I'll take the microfiche into the microfilm and I'll want the microfilm <laughs> transported onto the computer and the same notes. Like I get it, you know, because we as teachers, we've invested a long time in these notes and various things. But what I have realized is that schools need to wake up and what the teacher does in the classroom needs to change and that essentially even after COVID if one thing has really shown uh, shone a light on this is that schools are central to our community and they have to be centres of relationship and some of those staff who are more experienced actually bring a new dimension of humanity, a different rhythm, a different experience. Somebody who is teaching, who is 70 years old, teaching history has lived through phenomenal times and can share something that a 25-year-old who can put it on a computer and find a YouTube clip can't. So sit down and talk and find that teacher's passion. Don't necessarily uh, insist that they jump through all the hoops but offer other things. And one of the things that uh, we have looked at it at Genzano, and we've been really lucky that we have gained some recognition. And sometimes I think, uh, you know, this word now, micro-credential, is actually bandied around a little bit, or what is it? And we might look into that a little bit later. But what we found is that if you have these rich conversations between staff members, regardless of where they are in their profession, you find absolute pockets of expertise. You find absolutely nuggets of gold. And that is the gem that leads to the most amazing micro-credential that allows people to follow their heart and allows people with a lifetime of experience of teaching to create a course, to have the connections, to allow students then to have a much more bespoke experience, to not have everybody doing the same thing but allow some of our really experienced teachers to end their teaching career on an absolute high. And whether it's to do with uh, sustainability, whether it's to do with uh, philanthropy, whether it's to do with um, composition and counterpoint and various other things that we've created these uh, number of micro-credentials, it's a really rich bed. And I have seen teachers absolutely transformed reinvigorated. Sometimes they have more time to investigate, to think, to dream, to stretch, because they're not dealing with everything else that other teachers necessarily are doing. So, and likewise, I've got, I think we've got to wake up, you know, you mentioned Valerie Hannon and that innovation, you know, she's been an inspiration to me for absolute years. Um, And I love just how practical and honest and real uh, she always is. But what she kind of suggests too is that schools can't just rely on teachers to do all this stuff. Not only schools can't rely on teachers to do all this stuff, schools should never expect teachers to do everything. Because Mm -hmm. the second we do this, we push teachers into a fear mode 
And as soon as we push them into a fear mode, we erode all of the human capital, all of the goodwill. Just go on Twitter and you'll see frightened teachers teeing off from the back markers about how they feel rejected and neglected and out of place and alienated by a system, which instead of looking at Malachi 1, bring your best sacrifice before the Lord, it's, it's instead of looking at the gifts they have, it's the bit that they might not cover as well as something else or the day they weren't 100% and didn't teach the best lesson in the world. So we just obsess about the negatives and we push, 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 push instead of turning around and going, hmm, I, I agree with you. I don't think we have got right yet the way in which we can get the best out of our senior teachers. And when I say senior teachers, I'm not talking administrators or, or school leaders. I'm talking about chalkies, as we, mm. might, as we might once have called them back in the day. We haven't worked out how to do that, but I don't think society on the whole has either because there's no doubt that there comes an age and there comes a time where for most the quantity and the intensity are not appropriate anymore. So if they're not, what do you do? And, and how do you get the best out of them and so on? And I think when we, when we you know, a couple of weeks from now, when we come and look at, at, at what you're doing at Genetzano right now, uh, I'd really like to, to, to follow through that notion of the, the work that's going on in your community to ensure that your teachers remain future fit along the way. Lorna, I've really enjoyed this conversation so far. I'm hoping that we can put a pause on it and then come back next week and then look at the beginning of your profession and experience in the profession from your university years through your early career up to the time at Chenetsano. Um, thank you very much for the conversation today. I look forward to chatting next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by our School for Tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.